This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. No one has to tell you that everything just feels like it's been spinning this year. And it's hard to figure out what next steps to take to move forward when so many things have felt completely unknown and shaky. So we want to invite you to take a weekend with your girlfriends and just reset. Take a minute to analyze and and take inventory of these last few months, the good and the hard, and what's been lost and what's been gained. Spend time with Jesus, spend time with each other, get encouraged, get equipped, and we wanna do that with you right from your living room. So whether you have a house full of toddlers, you're a CEO, you lead a Bible study, this is for you. So invite a few girlfriends over and watch If Lead together on August 15th. Tickets are on sale now at iflead2020.com and they start at only $29. That's iflead2020.com. Okay, so today I am joined by one of my good friends. I often call him my brother, not because he's just my brother in Christ, but because we riff and fight like brother and sister. A real fun kind of brother, sister, brotherly, sisterly relationship, Jenny Allen. So Yes, we've known each other for, for many years. And so, Matt, I'm so excited to finally have you on the podcast. Listen, Matt Chandler. I'm to be here. Couldn't hardly sleep last night talking about Jenny oh. Allen. Are you kidding I know. me? Life is going to change because of this right here today. So let's talk about Jesus because you like him. I like him. Very much. I want to hear why you like him, Matt. Like, what's your story of how you came to know Christ? Yeah, well, I uh, became a Christian a little bit later. Uh, and I say that, but now that I'm getting older, I don't think that's actually, I can say that anymore. I, I became a Christian right before my 18th birthday. And a guy that was on my football team, um, just started talking to me about Jesus. And he started inviting me to come to a Wednesday night youth gathering with him. And so I, I started to go to church. And I had a lot of questions about spiritual things. I, I, I knew there was a God somewhere. I just wasn't sure who he was or what he was like. And I had some opinions about him that were just kind of formed of my own hopes and desires. And, and so a guy named Jeff just started bringing me to church with him, answering my questions, um, having me over for dinner, hanging out, uh, with his family. And, and that, that's kind of how uh, I was introduced to Jesus. Just a, a good friend that I was playing high school football with had the courage to talk to me about Jesus and tell me about how great he was and how beautiful he was and um, the difference he could make in my life. And so that was my introduction to Jesus. That was 28 years ago now. So it's it's been quite a beautiful relationship over the last 28 years, although it has morphed in different seasons and looked like different things in different times. But um, the, the thing that's been constant for the last 28 years is that the nearness of Jesus uh, and the friendship of Jesus and the love of Jesus. So becoming an, a Christian as an adult, did you see a difference? Did you feel a change? Oh, I, I felt a, a difference immediately. And I know that's not everybody's story. Like, I, I know if I thought about my wife, my wife became a Christian when she was eight years old. It wasn't overly emotive or what she just was like, this is what I want to do. And, and she would say, hey, this was this was a legitimate conversion for me. Like I, I became a Christian when I was eight years old as much as I could understand that. Uh, but for me, it was like he took uh, all the desires that I had and and like shifted them from where they were and put them with like laser like focus on himself. And so 
uh, all the passion that he created me with, all the energy that he created me with, all the zeal that he created me with uh, started. In fact, they didn't start almost immediately. They turned from the things that they were on, whether that be sports or girls or and it was just him. And I wanted to know everything I could about him. And so, man, I was staying up late reading the Bible. And um, I was like verses that the church kids had known their whole lives. They would just rock me. I would need to call somebody at like 1130. It was like, oh, my gosh, have you ever read John 3, 16 and 17? <laughs> and then they were like, well, of course, yeah. man. But it was so new to me. And, and oh, I love that. And so that was the that, that was kind of the, the difference. It was just laser like focus. Uh, that all my passion and all my gifts and stuff started to flow towards. So this season we mentioned is basically the high level questions of who is God? What does he want for us? What does it mean to sin? And and how does Jesus cover that? I mean, basics. But honestly, Matt, I feel like so many of us have missed those basics that along the way, when we're trying to understand who God is, we go to church, we're in Sunday school, we read books, but we don't really get that big picture view of the story of God. And why do you think it matters to understand these big rock pillars of who God is and what he wants? Well, I think without understanding the story that we're in, that we'll get lost in it. We'll get confused in it. Uh, We won't understand when difficult days come up. There'll be these simple, really beautiful truths that should sustain us through, through the different varying seasons of our lives, the highs and lows, the mountaintops and the valleys. Without understanding the story we're in, without understanding what you're describing, these kind of big block pieces, uh, these kind of simple, this is what's true pieces, um, we're, we're kind of left to our own devices in those seasons. And I mean both seasons. It's not just the valley uh, where people tend to, to lose faith and struggle. Sometimes it's the mountaintop where they've got everything they ever thought they wanted, they th- and then they forget about the Lord. And that's just as consistent of a story in the scriptures as is the one who turns their back on the Lord in the valley. And, and so these big pieces kind of sustain us, build us up, give us confidence. They should give us an immense amount of joy. And, and so that's why I think they're so important. Well, I gave you the hardest one. I mean, maybe sin, you know, that might've compared, but I think heaven's an easy, like this one's incredible. Okay, good that I gave you the right one. I mean, that's the thing is heaven is intimidating. I remember, so Matt, my introduction to teaching the Bible, I become a Christian at Canicut camps around the same age, 17. I come back home and I pull a bunch of kids together to younger than me because I just have to talk about God. I didn't know I was teaching a Bible study. That's not, I didn't even have a category for that. I just pulled them together because I had to talk about God and I taught them the book of Revelations. That's a great place to start. No, Isn't it? As a brand new Christian? That you had yes. To your, your friends there. Yeah, that's exactly right. I thought this looked interesting. Like it had all the, the, the fun, interesting. It was more interesting than the rest of the Bible. So I thought I'd go for it. So I think it's a difficult one because there's a lot we know. And of course, there's a lot we don't. So talk about how you view it. Let's just start big picture. And I want you to tell even why this matters to you because you've had near-death experiences to where heaven has had to feel very close to you. Yeah. So if we just start thinking about how the Bible describes heaven, there there are two things that become clear. Uh, The first is that heaven is a place of ever-increasing joy, which is hard for us to get our heads around because everything here has a ceiling uh, right? Like you, the most pleasurable thing imaginable will get older to you the more that, that you do it, which is why when you first get a new car or you first get a new house or you first get, you're like, this is the best thing ever. Then, and then just a couple of years later, if that long, you're like, oh man, I can't wait for my next one. Right. 
But but heaven doesn't work that way. Heaven is this ever increasing joy where every moment supersedes the the earlier moment for eternity. And that's hard mm-hmm. for us because all of our wells here on earth they're exhaustible. You, you can run out of it, but God is an inexhaustible well, and, and so His joy lasts for ages. And that's what the Bible is teaching us in the Book of Ephesians, where it says it will take the coming ages for us to grasp the inexhaustible well of his grace and his mercy for us. And so we know that the heavens ever increasing joy. And then we know that the only way that those who caught a vision of heaven know how to explain it is by taking the most precious material imaginable for us and making it basic and ordinary. So Mm. when you read in Revelation, right, you you hear about the the crystal sea and the streets of gold and, you know, that the saints will be like, there's nothing about that that makes me go, oh, that's where I want to be, right? I like my feet in some grass. And and yet um, what John is doing specifically in Revelation is just saying the most amazing things on earth, the things that you crave and long for, the things that you think make you powerful, the things that make you feel valuable, that's asphalt in heaven. That that's your sprinkler system in heaven. That's your so so he's kind of saying it's beyond your wildest imagination. And what you need to know is that what your heart most longs for will be satisfied there. And that's really the, the right way to think about heaven is like here on earth, we've got all these longings that like I I, I long for this, I long, I can't wait for this, I'm excited about this. I mean, and and that just keeps it's like a treadmill we run on our entire lives. And, and so, man, if parents are listening to this, uh, maybe you, you can see where your kids are on the treadmill. But I, I mean, I just viscerally remember wanting to be 16 years old so I could drive. And, and then I got to drive and then I couldn't wait to be 18 years old so I could go to college. And then when I went to college, I couldn't wait to be 21 years old so that I could graduate from college. And then when I graduated, I just couldn't wait to be married. And then I got married. Then I couldn't wait to have kids. And then I had kids. Then I couldn't wait for those kids to kind of grow to the next day. And they, and they did. And so... We get caught on this treadmill all the days of our life where hope is always deferred. It's always this thing in the future. But what heaven is, is hope fulfilled. It's in that space that we're no longer looking forward, but all the desires of our hearts are being completely filled in an instant while ever increasing. And again, it's, it's hard. We, we lack the divine imagination to imagine what that must be like. So that moment when we're singing or we're in worship or something, we feel the presence of God. That, that's just like not even an appetizer, right? That, that's just like the, the cracker that might be on the, the table at the restaurant before the feast. So what we get in heaven is ever expanding joy, hope fulfilled in the moment, no longer looking forward, but, but all that there possibly is to have in that moment, yet ever increasing. Well, let me let me ask you a few questions about heaven, just really practically, because I think before I'm just going to say Randy Alcorn's book on heaven was mind blowing to me. And it really changed a lot of how I thought about heaven, because before that, and I bet a lot of people listening think to themselves, I don't want to sing forever. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, so talk about just what it means that, you know, we have these wrong views of heaven, that there's not relationship, that there's not activities. Like there really is more common things that we will do that, that are familiar to us will work, right? Like that these will work. You also have a, and this is the, I call this the Tom and Jerry syndrome, right? It's not that you're going to like be a disembodied spirit on a cloud with a harp. that's just completely 
wrong view. According to the New Testament, you, you will have a physical resurrected body. I don't even pretend to know what that looks like. I heard a guy say one time he'll be 10,000 feet tall with the universe for hair, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's the picture that the Bible's painting. So we'll, we know we have this resurrection body. Uh, we know it, it cannot die. It does not get sick, right? It, it cannot be hurt. And, and we know that we, according to the Bible, we rule and reign alongside of Jesus in a remade heaven and earth. Uh, and so again, that, now you're getting into um, kind of end times, apocalyptic kind of understandings of how things end. But it, it's not going to end with God coming back and blowing up the earth. He, he renews or remakes the earth. Uh, and you and I reign and rule alongside of him forever. So, so yes, there'll be this ever-increasing joy. But if you remember, even before sin entered the world, there was work without toil. And so in some sense, we return to how we were created to be, which is, yes, we'll be working, but it's not going to be like work now where you're like, oh, I just, I want to go to bed, I want to take a nap. I don't want to do this today. It's not going to look like that because that's a result of the fall. But now that the fall's gone forever and the effects of the fall are gone forever, now we work without toil. There, there appears to be relationships uh, across the nations. We're eating and drinking. Uh, we are celebrating and dancing. So, so it's it's not so much this ethereal spirit world, but it's an embodied place. And, and it's mm. going to come down, right? New heavens, new earth. It's going to come down to this thing, this rock in the middle of the universe that we're on now, and it's going to remake it all. <laughs> yeah. And that's blowing people's minds. I'm just going to interrupt you there because when I heard that in seminary, I had never, heard, I mean, I was, you know, mid-20s and grown up at great Bible churches, and I had never heard that we would inhabit the earth again. Like I thought, oh, we're going to, the cloud imagery and all that and singing forever. And I want to say to everybody listening right now why this matters and why we're doing this series. It's culminating in this because when you understand where it all ends, when you have hope, a deferred hope that's real, that that is coming, it changes how you live. And no other class in seminary shaped my personal life, how I parented, how I made decisions, what I do with my life. No other class shaped it more than the than what we're talking about right now, which was basically the end time class. Now, the irony is when I got to the class, I thought we'd be in the book of Revelations. We started back in Genesis because of what you're saying, Matt, that the world is going to go back in some ways to what was like the original creation that we us on this earth is not a bad thing. God set us here. This is not something to destroy. Yes, brokenness and sin have ravished it, but it is a good thing. Creation is a good thing. You know, we are we were a good idea, God said. And and yet sin and the enemy has taken so much in our own decisions, right? So talk about that, that as far as sin being gone, tears being gone, and how that gives us hope through suffering. Yeah, I one of the things I like to say, and, and again, this is all this stuff's hard for us because we've we've got this stunted imagination. The like ten thousand years from now, there's no struggle in our life right now that won't seem small. And this is what the Apostle Paul's talking about when when he's being, you know, he's imprisoned, he's being beaten, he's being tortured. He's and, and he'll say that he considers these light and momentary afflictions. Right. I mean, that's how he's thinking about his afflictions, that they're light and they're momentary. Now, if you go read his list, brother got shipwrecked. He uh, was beaten and left for dead twice. Uh, he, I mean, this is a man whose light and momentary afflictions would be the low point and the ruining of the life of almost anybody listening, right? They, we wouldn't certainly call them light and momentary. We would call them long and impossible. 
but but because of Paul's view of what was to come, he says they're light and momentary when compared to the future glory. And the future glory he's talking about is being with God in a remade heaven and earth uh, with Jesus, unfettered access, reigning and ruling alongside of him in a resurrected body. And that's his argument in 1 Corinthians 15, that any difficulty today is like momentary in light of what is to come for us. And, and so if we can keep our eyes up there and, and not always just on the circumstances of our lives, it fuels a kind of perseverance that when it does its work produces joy. And so when you see people that have joy in the midst of really difficult, really hard circumstances, so the majority of the time, it's because they've got their eyes there rather than here. The end of our time on earth is not the end of our time. So nobody dies early. I just believe that nobody dies early and, and our eternity is secure. So that like we've been saying, like 10,000 years from now, my, my little 18 month bout with brain cancer, the, the decades of, uh, you know, over a decade of two MRIs a year, like, like you think I'm going to 10,000 years from now on this new made heaven and earth with Jesus in a resurrected body, being like, that was really hard. It'll, it'll seem like Paul said, it'll seem light and it'll seem momentary. Then I'm not trying to make light of anyone's struggle right now, because I know that when you're in it, it feels dark and impossible and, and it feels like it's forever. So I hope what we're trying to do is to kind of just pick up your chin lovingly, pick up your chin and go, no, no, no. There'll be a day where this is over, over. Talk about that season for you, Matt, because I know there were times that you doubted. There were times that you, you know, because I think a lot of people listening are, gosh, is this what really what we believe? <laughs> like, I mean, they're they're gonna, like going to open their Bibles tonight and be like, gosh, I I, I miss some of this. So, so talk about what that felt like to really come face to face with it, because it is what we believe and it is what we hope for, and we really do believe that this perspective changes everything, as it did for Paul. So, how did that? flesh itself out when you were in your darkest moment and really face-to-face with heaven? Yeah. So for those who don't know, I was uh, diagnosed with a brain tumor uh, almost 11 years ago now. And it was a golf ball-sized tumor. And I was given, I had to do the craniotomy after the surgery. They said two to three years to live. Uh, They started uh, chemo and radiation almost immediately. It it feels like a lifetime ago for me now, all these years later, but it is 11 years later and I'm still sitting here talking with Eugenie Allen. So kudos for their math being wrong and for God's great. Yes. But man, they were, I think the most consistent prayer I prayed that whole season was, I believe, help my unbelief. Um, and, And I learned even in that season, that anxiety for me in that 18 months and maybe a little bit longer than maybe 24 months. It wasn't a war I was going to get to win. It was a battle that I got to fight. And and that, I mean, you want to start talking about even heaven on earth now, the intimacy with Jesus in that moment where I'm like, hey, I I want to walk my daughter down the aisle. Hey, I, I want to watch my son become a man. I, I don't want another man to marry my wife. I don't want, and, and to be really honest with the Lord in that moment and ask him to remind me and help me believe because I felt so weak. And, and it felt so impossible to me on some days. And, and that's where the kindness of God um, met me in those moments. And, and if I weren't here to do this, that kindness was still present on the bathroom floor as I just tried to muster strength up uh, to, to throw up again. Um, and so, so it, certainly, I'm, I'm not trying to make this more romantic than it is. I, I love Luther said that faith was a wrestle with doubt. 
Uh, and I've always mm. loved Luther's definition because it's so true. Like, yes. believe, help my unbelief is a reality for all of us. In mm. fact, I, I get real anxious about people that are like, no, not me. I mean, I'm just like, really? There's no, because like Paul can't even say that, right? Like Paul's like, I'm perplexed. I'm not crushed, but I'm certainly perplexed. Right? Yeah. Jeremiah's like, you tricked me. Uh, right? Yeah. I mean, just go through the men of the Bible. And then you've got people like, not me. I'm just always fully confident. And I'm like, wow, then you, right. should, you should take my job from me. Right. <laughs> I, I cannot look back at my life and take the seasons of doubt and struggle out and still love God. And I tell parents this all the time, that their kids are questioning their faith and maybe even walking away from their faith. And I'm like, without those seasons, you don't know that they'd ever have a genuine faith. They have to wrestle with this. They That doubt, you're right. I love that quote from Luther. I'm going to steal that quote from Luther because that comforts me so much. And and you know, my story, I mean, I walked through 18 months of doubt, you know, recently. And I still, Matt, just candidly, like last night, I was reading somebody that was an atheist, just really clearly you know, saying there is no heaven. And, and and I mean, everything in me, it was almost like I was about to have a panic attack. It just felt that dark because I've been that close to not believing what we're talking about. I've been that, I, I can smell it and taste it. And it, it gives me such a dark, hopeless feeling that I don't even want to be near it. It's like, I don't, I want to, you know, push away anything that is lifted up against God's name because it is what my entire life and hope and faith is built on. Hey, before we get back to the episode, I want to tell you about something. You know that we're always looking for helpful tools and things for you guys, and we're excited to tell you about a new company that we're partnering with this season, and you may have heard of them before. The other day, I was trying to figure out a way to send this massive PDF ebook to a bunch of people for Theology. Couldn't get it to go through my email. And so even before we partnered with Issue, I remembered how easy they make it to upload your files and your PDFs and just send links that let people access your ebooks, freebie downloads, whatever you're doing and sharing your information online. And what's super fun, it's completely free to use. So you can go to issue.info slash Jenny to sign up and make an account. That's issu.info slash Jenny. And now back to Jenny. So talk about how we stay secure and fight that doubt because that doubt, it is everything. I mean, if that comes in and takes over, it steals, kills, and destroys. So what does that look like? If we're talking to we're talking to the parents that are listening, I think being rooted in community, being in the word of God, and then having the courage to be honest yes. when you're struggling or doubting. And, and so nobody ever just walks away from the faith before they have wrestled an extended season of private doubt and frustration with the Lord, which partly you can nullify by just very early on going, Hey, I'm struggling right now. Like, it's just hard for me to believe that God is good. And I'm enduring this. I feel like the Lord's duped me. And what happens is we, we think that the Lord's going to like destroy us for saying that out loud, but you, you don't have any secrets from God. He already knows those doubts are present. He already knows that you're struggling and you're wrestling. The good gift he's given you is the ability to confess that and then to be strengthened by the saints. And there's something that happens when you just say the doubt out loud that lessens its strength. Um, again, the, the idea that you're going to be perfect 
and, and not struggle and these things not bother you. I, I have no idea where that came from. Because like we said earlier, pick a guy in the Bible. I mean, you pick him. Uh, I mean, if King David's like, how long, O oh Lord, will you forsake me? Will you forsake <laughs> me forever? A chapter yeah. after he just finished praising God for his nearness. Right. Then if Paul can be perplexed, if Jeremiah can say, you tricked me. Uh, if Nehemiah yeah. can say, hey, why does everybody who hate you excel and everybody who loves you suffers? Like these are, like if you just go read Moses praying to God, it, like if I heard a guy praying like that in small group, like I would yeah. have a talk, like, hey, don't talk to the Lord like that. Right. Uh, but Moses, like these, right. are, look at, these are my, these are your people, your idea. You did this. I didn't do this. You said that. Yes. And I was like, hey. yes. And, and yet so good. that's where the Lord meets us and ministers to us. And that's where the people of God actually come around us. And I really do believe one of the things that's hindering the growth of so many of God's chosen, beloved people is that they refuse to be honest about where they actually are. So they can't get to where the Lord wants to take them because they won't acknowledge where they are. And that's a huge part of getting to where the Lord wants to take us is acknowledging where we are, where we're weak, where we're lonely, where we're frustrated, where we're broken. And then you can move forward. If you're right. talking about kids, then I, I think parents have to be a safe place for their kid to doubt and, and to ask questions that might, you might like hear the question and panic internally, but you've got a poker face and smile and go, great question. Let's find the answer together and, and not freak out if your kid asks about everything from sexuality to other religions to you, you've got to just affirm the question. Uh, that is a good question. I've thought about that some myself. I'm not sure. Why don't we study that together? And so that's where I think it, you've got to walk the walk, mom and dad. And, and then when the kid comes with their doubts and they are doubting, uh, I mean, I've got a 17, 14, 11, and they doubt. They And sometimes I feel like mine have just like tested me with their doubts to, to see if I was a safe place to actually share their own. And, and so, you know, they would ask some crazy question or say some crazy statement just to see how I react. And then they would finally let me into what the actual doubt was. And so we just have to be prepared to not be, not meet their doubt with panic, yeah. um, but meet their doubt with patience and compassion because we ourselves doubt. That's right. Well, I think about Kate and, and everybody asks me all the time, like, how does she love God? What did you do right? I, and I would say we let her doubt that, that that season and then we walked through that with her. That's why she loves God so much is because she walked through a year and a half, two years. And it was long. It felt really long where she was questioning everything. And at first she was scared to tell us. But I, I think that's so important what you're saying, Matt, about fighting for your kids, basically, and saying, you know what, and fighting for them, not in a, oh, I'm going to save their faith, but fighting for them to be honest, right? That's what we're saying. And then, and then you know what you're dealing with, and then you can, you know, process it together or bring other people in their lives that can help them process it. But do not freak out. That's what you need to hear us saying is do not panic. All of our faith is built on moments like this. So in seasons like this, this isn't something to fear. This is something pretty much to expect, really, that at some point they're going to wrestle. All right. Heaven. How do we talk to our kids about heaven? What do you think the important things are, Matt, that we give them a vision for it? Because I think as parents, we can get so awkward and be like, well, we're going to sing and like we're going to give them and, and we're ultimately shaping their view of forever and eternity. So so give us kind of some basic things that we can say that will give them, you know, hope and that will give them courage in their lives and that will give them something to live for. Yeah. So the thing I would warn against having a church full of 
20 and 30 somethings, many of whom grew up in Christian homes and then failed on the faith for a while and then came back, is that although heaven is this really beautiful place of ever increasing joy and beauty beyond imagination. So I even think of Augustine's quote, it, looking out uh, Northern Africa, the Mediterranean says that these are the beauties afforded to sinful men. What does God have in store for those who love him? Right. I mean, that's an amazing quote. But we want to be real careful about a lot of that with our kids. The, the thing that I want to put ever before my children is that's where God is. And, yeah. and, and if God wasn't there and all of our dreams came true, we'd find out that our dreams were hollow and unsatisfying. But if right. God's there, then everything's perfect. And so I want to constantly reframe the conversation around heaven about the presence of God, the nearness of God, that no longer do we need faith because we'll see him face to face. Like we get to see God once and for all. We're not hoping anymore. It's hope fulfilled. And, mm-hmm. and so that's the way I've always tried to shape heaven with my own children. It is not so much, hey, the, the, the streets are going to be gold and the the sea is going to be crystal and there's going to be no more dying and we're going to reign and rule. And we, because I, I, I mean, I think there's something about that that makes a kid go, yeah, I want to go there. Yeah. I, I want to go there um, without actually having any, yeah, I want to know God. Yeah. I want to be with God. I, I want to love Jesus. And, and so you've got to kind of toe that line where you're painting this picture that all of these things exist because God is there and because yeah. Jesus is there. I'm actually flashing back to a sermon that you gave that I listened to years ago, and it has shaped my language around it. Actually, I've stolen this from you, and I've never given you credit until this moment, but it's so simple. And I actually just remembered how much it moved me when I heard it as you're talking. And it was this, I think your whole sermon, you said it a hundred times, is we get God. Like that, that phrase, it gave me like this handle of, hey, that is the ultimate. That is the thing. There's not something else that that we get plus God that that makes us happier. It's that we get God. And I think that is our greatest joy. It is. It is our greatest joy. For those that hear that and don't feel that way about God, what would you say to them? Yeah, well, now we're on to how do we continue to cultivate our love and relationship with God so that right. our understanding of this, because here's, here's my hope. Like right now, somebody's listening to this in their very nice car. And they're on their way to their very nice job. And they're at the age now where, where they're thinking, okay, I've got the spouse. I've got the house. I've, I've got the kids. And okay. And I can see now I'm always kicking the can down the field, but, but I haven't really felt the kind of soul level satisfaction and gladness that I thought I would by now. So I've got the picture perfect life and yet it, it's not working. And, and man, this is, Feel like this is my opportunity to go. Yeah, there, there's a reason why it's not working because you have been created for a relationship with Jesus. You, you like that's that's why you were created. All those gifts and abilities that you've had that have got you to this moment, those were given to you by God for God. And so, a life lived outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ is always going to be less satisfying than it was meant to be because all the things that you and I are pursuing, they're meant when we experience them. They are meant to kind of move past the experience itself onto praise and gratitude towards a creator God who's so generous to us. And, and if you take God out of the equation, but continue to chase all the stuff, and this is just Romans 1, then, then you're not going to be satisfied in that stuff. And so uh, I would say that continuing to cultivate this relationship with Jesus, I, I would use the word 
friendship with Jesus should be your number one priority, even even more than man, thinking about your marriage or thinking about your kids or thinking about your job or thinking about your next move. It's how do I continue to cultivate this relationship with Jesus so he becomes more of my treasure and, and the things of this earth kind of loosen their grip on me. And so I think that's mm. how I express mom and dad listening. It's like, well, I'm, I'm just not there. Mm. And that makes me teary because I don't think there's anything in life, you know, as we get older and as we get closer to to heaven, that will mean more to us than that. And it's the thing we take with us, right? And it's the thing that that steadies us in the midst of a lot of chaos, which we're all in the midst of right now. For your kids, there's no greater dream that we have, that they would be friends with Jesus, that they would view their lives as friendship with Jesus, that they would walk with him and talk with him and know that he likes them and loves them and know that they would like him back and that they would they would want to be with him. And Can you imagine that. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is, I think, the best, maybe the only goal we should have as parents because, you know, the Bible tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added. And I think it's true with parenting too. When we give our kids a great delight in the Lord, then a lot of other things are going to take care of themselves. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Anytime, Jenny. I love you.